Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of Dogmatic. This is part two of this month's adventure into the world of tea. So if you haven't already, please first head back and listen to part one, Empire in a Teacup, before coming here and listening to part two. Other than that, really hope you enjoy this post and as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts so please leave a comment down below and help us reach more eyes and ears by sharing it either directly with a friend or on whatever social media platform you are using. So thanks very much and enjoy. The Chinese character for tea, cha, has three components, says Zhou Liping as she glides her horsehair calligraphy brush along the page. Cao, grass, ren, people, and mu, wood. When tea was discovered, humans were surrounded by grass and woods. They were much closer to nature than we are today. So when we drink tea, we can taste and feel nature. We're in a traditional tea house in the south of Chengdu, where Li Ping, our Chinese teacher, has invited us on a journey of investigation into the earliest origins of tea culture. While we learnt much about the interconnected nature of Chinese and British history from a recent visit to a more laid-back tea house, I suspect we've barely scratched the surface. The legend of tea dates back four and a half thousand years, Li Ping says, opening a small bag of dark leaves and pouring them into a lidded cup. The divine farmer, Shen Nong, was trying different medicinal herbs in the forest when some tea leaves blew into his cooking pot. After that, tea was adopted by Chinese people as a medicine, food and drink. With the practiced mindfulness of any good host, Li Ping begins the careful transfer of near-boiling water between cherished utensils, a process that makes up the Chinese tea ceremony. It is likely that this ritual has its earliest roots in the ancient meditation practices of monks and shamans who used caffeine to explore altered states of consciousness. While it has been through many stages of evolution since Shen Nong's experience in the forest, it wasn't until the Tang Dynasty of 618 to 906 AD that tea was truly emancipated from its crude state into a more refined and widespread art. The Tang was a cultural golden age in which San Jiao, the three religions of Taoism, Buddhism and Confucianism, all embraced ritualized tea drinking. That was a great time to be a Buddhist, Li Ping says with a chuckle. The government would pay people to live in a temple and spend their days meditating and drinking tea, much easier than working in a field. Following her instructions to keep the tea on our tongues for several seconds, all the while maintaining a pleasant facial expression for etiquette, we observe the tea's flavours as they shift and evolve, fruity, slightly smoky, and then sweet, with only the faintest tannin bitterness. People train their palates for a lifetime to discern such flavours, but I'm certain it's the subsequent feeling of focus and euphoria that led Tang poets to believe tea possessed the elixir of immortality. I'd go as far as to wager that Lu Tong was severely caffeinated when he wrote the poem Qi Wan Cha, Seven Bowls of Tea, as it reads like a Tang Dynasty version of Red Bull Gives You Wings. The fourth bowl raises a slight perspiration and all life's inequities pass out through my pores. The fifth bowl purifies my flesh and bones. The sixth bowl calls me to the immortals. The seventh bowl couldn't be drunk. The breath of the cool wind brushes my sleeve. 
Where is Penglai Island, land of immortals? I wish to fly there, riding this sweet breeze. This is matched by the prose of Liu Yu, China's original tea saint, who historian Laszlo Montgomery calls the true Elvis to the popularity of tea in Chinese society. His tea encyclopedia, the Cha Jing, classic of tea, is so luxuriant in detail that it radiates something akin to love. The best tea leaves must curl like the dewlap of a mighty bullock, unfold like a mist rising out of a ravine, gleam like a lake touched by a zephyr, and be wet and soft like fine earth newly swept by rain. Time flies and conversation flows as Li Ping diligently refills our cups again and again. The tea leaves gradually get weaker until what we're drinking is little more than lightly scented hot water. Under more formal circumstances, to drink beyond this point would be to overstay one's welcome. But among friends, wringing out every last drop of flavour from the leaves is a sign of familiarity and good guanxi. It's in this friendly atmosphere that Tamsin jokingly asks, Have you ever tried English tea? Li Ping thinks for a second or two, then laughs. You mean in the bag? Actually, yes I have. A British friend invited me to try it a while ago, with milk. I'm sorry, but that wasn't tea. Say no more, I think. The taste, feeling, and overall experience of Chinese cha is so unlike anything I've experienced in the UK that it's hard to believe it belongs to the same plant. This realisation reminds me of a bizarre and cringeworthy 2014 video that's recently gone viral of UK Conservative Party leadership candidate Liz Truss addressing the party conference on her ideal vision of a Britain-led food system. In a spiel that manages to be both eerily robotic and dripping in what Naomi Klein would term toxic nostalgia, Truss exclaims, We are selling tea to China! Yorkshire tea! I hope Li Ping never sees this clip, as it's embarrassing on two levels. Firstly, so-called Yorkshire tea is only bought in China by homesick Brits. No sane Chinese person would pay import tax on weird foreign tea bags when they have the real thing at home. Secondly, Truss's thinly veiled nod to Britain's imperial rivalry with China over the tea trade is both worrying and misplaced. Britain's extensive tea colonies in India and Ceylon left a legacy of exploitation that endures to this day. However, China's much larger and more developed market economies and tea cultures both predated and outlived the British Empire. Under tea's spell, it seems we've unintentionally performed the Taoist practice of zuo wang, to sit and forget, ignoring our own stomachs in the process. Four hours have passed, and I'm seriously hungry. As we leave in search of food, I reflect that if we're ever going to achieve a level of cooperation and mutual understanding with China that is capable of tackling the intersecting crises that threaten us as a species, we first need to do away with outdated, imperialist views of history. At the same time, the tea session we have shared has given me an increased sense of connection, both with the people of China and with nature, all via a humble plant that has reshaped world history. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this two-part dive into the world of tea. And as always, please leave a comment and help us reach more people by sharing it. Stay tuned for what I think is our most interesting video yet. 
in which we take you with us into the unique world of Chengdu tea houses, meeting some fascinating characters along the way. So until then, 再见, bye bye.